After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Welcome everyone to the Monday edition of Baseball America's Playoff Podcast. I'm John Manuel, joined by J.J. Cooper. JJ, we're going to try to keep things focused. We'll, we'll, we'll look at we'll look at these we have a uh, thirty-five two, minute timer here. Yeah, we're going to look at these th- these two league championship series through a few select players, and we are uh, through two games in each league championship series. Indians up two nothing on the Blue Jays. I'm writing up their top thirty uh, right now, and actually wrote their overview last night. And it's hard to write an organization overview in mid league championship yes. series. Let me just say that right now. Yes. Um, and on the other I have side, to change it a little bit eventually for the book. And then on the other side, we've got the National League Championship Series with the Dodgers with a one nothing victory over the Cubs last night on Sunday night. So that series is all tied. JJ, uh, let's start with the Indian Series real quick because there's been one story of the League Championship Series so far. And that's, well, I guess the shocking thing is that three of the four League Championship Series games played in under three hours. And there have been Yay. a lot of pitching, a lot of pitching, and a lot of low scoring games. And the Indians, you know, you kind of expect that in some ways with Corey Kluber. But it's really been uh, bullpen-driven. I mean, Josh Tomlin was really good for them in Game 2. Uh, kind of an upset, for sure. He definitely, He's done it twice now in the playoffs, where we have to say. He I mean, definitely defies the convention. We thought that the, the Indians would struggle in starting pitching without Carrasco and without Danny Salazar. And instead, Tomlin's given them two good starts. Uh, Kluber's been good. And, and now we have to see how Trevor Bauer recovers from his uh, drone injury. I don't even want to talk about that guy. But Andrew Miller, who was supposed to be an ace starter 10 years ago, was supposed to be an ace starter 13 years ago and in the 2003 draft. He was the number 13 prospect coming out of high school, uh, high school in the Orlando area. We had him on our top 100 at number 13 going into that draft. Was a third-round pick out of high school, didn't sign, went to North Carolina, was the sixth overall pick in 2006. It's taken them a while, JJ, but now... I mean, honestly, you have to ask, which former Yankee left-hander would you rather have, Chapman or Miller? Miller. I think it's a fair question. Miller. Right you would now. rather have Miller. I mean, huh? Right now, like, if you say... To start an inning, I might say Chapman, and here to runners, I think I'd say Miller. Uh, by the way, I just called up. Here is our uh, BA scouting report from 2003. Miller entered the season as the top-rated high school pitcher in the country. At midseason, he claimed the number one slot on BA's top, 500 high, top 50 high school prospects. He was pitching at 91-95 with a silky smooth arm action that made his fastball deceptive and overpowering. His breaking ball was one of the best in the high school ranks. Still one of the best. It, <laughs> it hasn't changed. Yeah. And the scariest part was at six foot six, 192 pounds. He's projected to get even stronger. 
Uh, his innings build up. He got tired and trouble maintaining, maintaining his mechanics and his velocity. He, stock has slipped slightly, and John Danks has passed him as the top high school southpaw. Oh, doctor. Nevertheless, Danky he Danks. is a potential first-round pick. And he wasn't. He was a third-round pick. And then, you know, the way they always tell the story at North Carolina was that he kind of recruited himself to North Carolina when he was a high school junior uh, because of the business school. He wanted to... He called them. Don't call us. We'll call you. He, he called North Carolina and said, I'm coming to Chapel Hill to take an official visit. How can I d- coordinate that with you, baseball program? <laughs> and they made things easy on him. And uh, obviously one of the more impactful recruits that you can think of because North Carolina hadn't been to the College World Series since 1989 before he got there. And then since he got there, they've been six times. 2006, his junior year, the first time. Um, so he had a decorated amateur career. Yeah, J.J., the thing is, he never developed the changeup, and he never really got that much thicker than he was in high school. So I think maintaining his delivery over three, four times through a lineup, I think, uh, proved difficult for him earlier in his major league career. But right now, the, uh, he, he makes the occasional mistake. He did give up eight home runs this year, but his numbers are Nintendo numbers. And then, what is it, 11 strikeouts of the 12 outs he's gotten so it's far in this league championship series? He's totally unhittable. Um, I don't even know what, how do you game plan him as a hitter? You can't, it's, if you sit fastball, he throws really hard with some angle. And if you sit fastball, you're not touching the slider. And if you sit, I don't, I mean, I think you can sit that slider and you're probably not touching it. And again, he does a, right. he does a very good job of, this is what you're talking about, the difference between him and Chapman. You know, Chapman with runners on is a fastball dominant pitcher. Andrew Miller is a it is about a 60-40 split at most. It's 50-50 yeah, sometimes where it's binary. You have it's going to be this or it's going to be this. But again, it is something where either of them you could guess right and still have trouble hitting it. And if you guess wrong, you have no hope of hitting right. it. And that's really what's the thing that jumps out about it is is that we've seen it with him. We were talking about Zach Britton. It is interesting how we have all these guys who really in those cases, are failed starters. Correct. Legitimately, like a Aroldis Chapman is not a failed starter. A Aroldis Chapman is one of those where the pay, it was like, you know what, we're not going to be patient with this as far as trying to continue to develop him as a starter. He can be the best closer in our league right away. Let's right. do that. Andrew Miller bounced around as a failed starter. He started for the Red Sox in 2011. He started 12 games for that the, the, the fried chicken and beer team. You know, he was like one of their guys they tried in the back of their rotation and just couldn't get it work. Couldn't and, get it to and, work. And the thing about it is, is when you watch him, he is one of those guys who, as you watch him, you are reminded why he may he very well is a failed starter. It is one thing. It's his approach maybe would work if you said now, like you know what, we're not going to try to make you throw a changeup. We're right. just just go out there with these two pitches. But that becomes tougher to do over the course of five to six innings than it yeah. does. Being deployed, the other part of that, though, is, is that we've seen this in recent years more and more, but isn't he as valuable to a team in the playoffs doing what he's doing than it would be if he made two, even if he yeah. was making two Him solid five-inning starts, six-inning yeah. starts? I mean, like, the, the amazing part is that I'd forgotten... He did this for Baltimore in 2014 as well when they traded mm-hmm. for him. And what they gave up, Eduardo Rodriguez, they gave up mm-hmm. a pretty good... Pro- He's been traded for really good prospects. So clearly the industry the last three years has recognized just how valuable this guy is. How about this for a career postseason so far for Andrew Miller? 16 innings, four hits, no runs, 
three walks, 27 strikeouts. That's over the last three years only. That includes the wild card game last year for the uh, for the Yankees. But that's Cleveland, Baltimore, and that one game for the Yankees. This guy's been at his best uh, at the most important time as a reliever. And he does it in how and many? Can do how, it, many it, how many appearances? How many innings? That's ten appearances, sixteen innings. That's so the that's the other can, thing about he, it. He's not a one inning guy for sure, and, and that's what we're seeing in the postseason. But the thing, Kelly Jansen is now like, I'm not a one inning guy. Yeah, but the thing is, JJ, like this is not new, and it's not even new to modern baseball. I'm a little tired of that narrative on Twitter during games. It's it's like, are we supposed to act like we didn't see Mariano Rivera do this mm-hmm. all the time for his career? The problem was the people who weren't paying attention, and I mean the managers who weren't doing this, who weren't paying attention to Mari- Mar- what Mariano Rivera did. It's like they acted like he was the singular person who could go two innings. And I don't think that was ever true. He did have, I mean, obviously he was a singular talent, but it, it, this did happen, and we saw it for championship teams is, use their relievers this aggressively, where you know Rivera was often a, a two-inning guy in the postseason. So I, I'm not quite I, sure I, I, why I, that's I so think, revolutionary. But, but now. Seen as revolutionary now. But it, it, this is a better model than the Larusa model to me. Yes, that's and that right. is something where I do think that more. You can say that about a lot of things that but, Larusa did. But I do think that there is more teams that have in the last you know we until the last couple of years more teams use the Larusa model. 7th U, 8th U, 9th U, and... Well, it certainly worked for the Royals. It, right. it clearly worked for the Royals, but they had three really good guys. Three to four, yeah. you know. And yeah, exactly. And, the, and and even with that, though, if you look, Wade Davis, which they 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 almost backed into this because Greg Holland was their right. closer. Right, And Wade Holland, Wade, Wade Davis was their best pitcher. And so they were able to say, no, 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 you're going to go the 7th and 8th tonight. Right. And it wasn't seen as anything unusual. It's like, no, he's a setup man. He's going two tonight. They were but, all just so good, it didn't matter. Right. And But but Andrew Miller, I, I guess it right now if you look at it, obviously the playoffs are not over. That's the trade of all the trades that happen at the midseason. That's the trade that probably looks like the most uh, pivotal uh, yeah. of all of them. And I, what I wonder about is, you know, we, we talked to Brad Grant. We didn't ask him this question. The Indian scouting director is, at what point did the Indians decide that Andrew Miller was worth what they gave up for him? Because they gave up a lot in Clint Frazier. I mean, he was a, that's, a, that's a big prospect to give up for a relief pitcher. At what point did they decide, we, we're pretty confident we're going to win this division with what we've got. Now we need to plan for the playoffs. Because I wonder if they do that if they're in a really tight division race. Because he has, I think, less effect on a division race Much over less. 60 games than he does in the crucible of a playoff series. Well, and again, and they don't know. One of the things they didn't know at the time that they acquired Andrew Miller that made Andrew Miller even more valuable is, is at the time they had had some of these injuries. Yeah. But their pitching staff looked better right. than it does. What Andrew Miller becomes even more vital is when you are in a situation where you say, okay, every time Kluber goes out, we're counting on really good eight. Right. You know, and then the other, but everyone else, if we can get a good five, we are we will can we can deploy the Miller whenever it's we need to. It's certainly a different look when you're trying to get through the sixth and seventh innings with all respect to former baseball America Jump Shadow or Danny Otero. But when it's Danny Otero or Jeff Manship or Zach McAllister, talk about those last two guys talk about failed starters who are now relievers. It's just different when those two guys are on the mound trying to get you six innings or six outs or three outs in the middle of a game that's you know, on the line. I mean, if you're the Blue Jays and you see those guys on the mound, you're like, 
all right, this is our chance, you know. So, and I'll just say this as we go into the rest of the LCS, JJ. The Blue Jays, you know, this is there's got to be some desperation. There's a team that drew more than 3.3 million fans this year, and this is they had nine years of Jose Batista and seven years of Edwin Encarnacion. Yeah, you know, in those nine years, uh, uh, Batista has averaged 30 home runs per year, including two years where he led the league. And Edwin, over the last five years of those seven years, he's averaging 39 home runs a year over the last five years. Those two guys are pending free agents. This is the this is the end of this iteration of the Blue Jays. Right. Really, an iteration that started with Alex Anthopoulos coming taking over in 2010 as the GM being let go last year, but this team is still pretty much last year's Jays. Mm-hmm. A couple of tweaks. But Jay Hat pitched well. Marco Estrada pitched even better in Game 1. And they've lost them both. If they don't score some runs in, in Rogers Center the next three games, this is this is the end of this iteration of the Blue Jays, and, period. And the other part about that is, is circling it back around, again, I talk about the off days. There's so many off days. The frightening thing for them as we get ready for game three here is, as you know, okay. The, They've got two times through the lineup to get Bauer. Right, That's because it. you know right now they both had an off day. So it's basically, it's the Miller, if it's close, yeah. it's the Miller and Cody Allen show to finish this off. And they can't feel real good about their chances, as you said. It's either you've got to get to Bauer or you've got to get to Bauer enough that you get to someone else. Because if it's... right. If the or you got to get to Allen, you got to hope you can get to, or maybe you can get to Cody Allen because you're probably not getting to Andrew Miller, and that's fairly safe to say at this point. I mean, it's, there's no one who's a sure thing. I guess nothing really illustrates that nothing's a sure thing like Clayton Kershaw's career mm-hmm. postseason history, JJ. Now take but it right to the now, other side. right? I mean, but yesterday he, there were a lot of conditions that were at work for him to pitch really well. Mm-hmm. Number one, that he was still Clayton Kershaw. You know, it's like Sylvester the cat going, I'm a cat, and then meowing. He's like, yep, I am. I'm a cat. I, Clayton Kershaw had to look in the mirror with those ridiculous whiskers he has, remind himself he's Clayton Kershaw, um, build on the success he had against the Nationals in that series, even on short rest, coming back again on short rest uh, yesterday, and wind blowing in. And, and honestly, I feel like the Cubs, uh, JJ, part, I think a big part of yesterday's win for the Dodgers was Kershaw, obviously, pitching really well. The other part of it is the Cubs, suddenly, honestly, their lineup looks like a lineup that could sure use Kyle Schwarber because Solaire's an out whenever he pinch hits. Hayward rarely hits the ball hard. Their lineup stops at four, and then you have Baez. But everyone else is very pitchable right now, and the back half of their lineup, and right now, Anthony Rizzo and uh, Addison Russell, what, have the two hits between them in the postseason? Um, it's, that's a challenge. They've made it hard for themselves to score runs when those two guys aren't hitting. That's a, it's not a deep lineup if those two guys don't produce. Yeah, I, although I still do think, I, I would expect that we're going to see something significant from Anthony Rizzo before the series is over. I, it feels like he's I mean, seeing the ball well. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't, I, you know, Addison Russell, not. Javier Baez on the flip. Like, it is. It's like, yes. I, I do think maybe they want to move the lineup around. Javier, the, the moment of that game for me last night is the seventh inning. And Javi Baez, you know, gets into one. I mean, he legitimately gets into it, but he hits it to the biggest part. Of the, and the reaction and from win. Clayton Kershaw <laughs> oh, yeah. after it was like, Whew. yeah, he should have because he should have because that was that was the game. And at that point, um, I, I I do think though that you're if you're the Dodgers, I mean, obviously that's huge because you lose that game and you're feeling very much. I mean, yeah. again, you these are best. You know, you have to win four. If you're down two zero. 
and Clayton Kershaw just left the mound, you you don't feel nearly as good as one one. But I, this I, team, those teams have a combined twenty three hits in the first two games combined. Uh, right. Three three of them by Adrian Gonzalez, three of them by Javier Baez. Everyone else is scuffling a bit, pretty much. And I, I do think though, you know, you look at this. If I look at this from the Cubs standpoint, that's the game though that they lost. That's the game you expect to lose. Right. <laughs> I mean, like Kersh- it, Kershaw versus Hendricks. Right. Nothing against Hendricks, who's been re- outstanding this year. But you can go at the end of that and go, okay, that's, that's right. the one that we expected that our odds were going to be against us. Every other pitching matchup basically should, on paper, favors right. the Cubs. Right. We're, we're talking now, we're talking, I would assume, Hill and Urias. I mean, Urias, yeah, I yeah, always against, pronounce it wrong. Right. Against, against Arietta yeah. <laughs> and Lackey. So, so, yeah. I, the one thing there is uh, Julio Urias versus John Lackey. Uh, this time of year, I know you want to go with experience, but Urias I'll go got with some. Stuff, I'll yeah, say. he got some pretty good experience. He looked calm, cool, collected the other day against the Nats. I don't really ever worry about him not being up to the yeah. stage. That's not really. This guy, again, like rewind it. As a 16 year old, here's the ball go on the mound to the Midwest League. Like, right. They saw this guy as a 16-year-old and said, yeah, he's ready for full-season ball. Right. No one, I, I do mean no one, you know, short of uh, Joe Nuxall, I guess, is, <laughs> is ready for full-season ball as a 16-year-old. And he wasn't just ready, he was better than the league. Yeah, that's what the Dodgers were like. Yeah, he's in low A. He probably should have been in double A. Oh, yeah. I had I mean, like, that year when I was doing the Midwest League. He's like, if you took him here and you put him in double A, I promise you, He'd have been fine. Right. You know, I'm not saying he'd have been the dominant pitcher in the league. Right. But he would not have looked like, what is this dude doing here? And that's, so that, that to me, that, that series obviously got a lot more interesting um, with that. The most interesting man in that series clearly has been Javier Baez, JJ. And it's just he's been. He's the most interesting. In the playoffs. He's, he's been the most, most watchable player yeah. in any of these series right now. I agree. And because you never know. The great thing about him is, is it's offensively and defensively. So you literally never know at any moment. Well, if he's if the Cubs are in the field, at some moment there may be some great Javier Baez play. If he's still hitting seventh in Game Three, it is going to be really weird to see how because you can tell the media chorus. There's a little backlash on Joe Madden. I think a lot, a lot of reporters love covering the Cubs and they love covering Joe Madden because he's quotable, he's intelligent, he's different, he's not canned with his mm-hmm. answers. So the interactions with the manager are more entertaining and insightful, I think. And, and for Joe Maverick, he's been writer. freed from, I mean, there is a difference. He's now the manager who is good on a big stage, who's right. on a big stage, whereas before it was basically sharing <laughs> stories with Mark Topkin exactly. and, and a couple other people. <laughs> That's right. Now um, there's a big, like, you know, I, I spent a lot of time at Cubs spring training, you know, a couple of years ago, and it's like, I mean, you just notice the difference. Yeah. Praise camp, Cubs camp, big difference. But the question to me is, you know, he got questioned for the way he handled the bullpen in game one, and I think he should have been questioned. And I think he, he almost cost them that game. He, I, I do it, like how he closer, managed the lineup. That was, in some ways, you could argue closer to the idea, okay, you know, could Chapman have gone too full there? Right, exactly. Why not give him that opportunity? And then um, the other question to me is, you know, insisting on hitting Addison Russell five-hole when... He looks so uncomfortable. If he doesn't get early count contact, forget it. He's just he doesn't want to be up there with two strikes right now. He's he's lacking the necessary arrogance to be good right now. So 
we'll see if the Cubs adjust a little bit. I, it feels like they need to adjust some things in that lineup. I, well, I they have the opportunity to do that because, again, they have more players than... <laughs> but right now, they do have. They have depth and versatility. Right now, they need someone to hit. Mm-hmm. And they don't have that uh, outside of... They're getting good at-bats, consistent good at-bats from four guys right now. Zobrist, Bryant, um, you know Dexter Fowler, and obviously Baez. Rest of the lineup... And they're they're and, pitchable guys. And, so. and Miguel Montero in pitching appearances. <laughs> yeah, one one of two for sure. I, I'm I'm not worried about the Cubs necessarily, but I thought they were prohibitive favorites against the Dodgers. I still think they're favorites, I, but they they I would like to see them hit. If I were the right. Cubs, if I were their Cubs, if I were a Cub fan, I would like to see them hit. They they had two offensive explosions in Game One, Game Two they were definitely shackled, and for a lot of the rest of Game One, and they weren't. Super offensive in their in their first I, round I, playoff series either. Right, I still feel like this is I, I'm not. I mean, I, I kind of feel pretty much the same about them as I did coming into the series. If you told me it's been a little different than maybe I would have expected, but if you had told me at the end of two games this was one one with the Cubs winning game one, the Dodgers winning game two, I would say that the Cubs are set up very nicely then because again, you're right. They've had some offensive struggles, as we all know. Offensive struggles could be very much fixed if if Rich Hill. Is I the, the really the question with Rich with Rich Hill is is tomorrow for tomorrow night is how many innings will he go? Yeah, well, how because, long is the leash? Because Rich Hill now he's been used in very un you know uncharacteristic ways so far, but he's yet to get through inning five. Right. So right. you know, and again, I don't blame him. He's come back on short rest in game five. They knew that was never going to be him getting through five innings, but. He's been a guy, you know, he's been blisters. That's not the same as he's got a sore elbow. Right. But he's missed a good bit of time. He's 36. <laughs> he's 36. He was going giving pitching lessons a yeah. year and a half ago instead of pitching, you know. And, you know, he was an Atlantic leaguer last year, which is amazing to me. Um, you know, indie ball reference. Certainly but, uh, speaks well the, uh, of the Atlantic League. I mean, like, and, and if they're going to start Urias in game four. Which one, is, one would assume. Who, so, who's, who's not, so who piggybacks with him? Would it be Urias? Would they skip him in Game Three? Have so he got to win Game Three? Would it be Ross Stripling? You know who who had they have gone to in this postseason fairly early. Or the other option is is that or is it going to be no 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 we're not doing that again? I do think that depends a little bit on what happens. If it's Cubs two one, you know, at, is it then you're pushing everyone back on short rest, which. Very possible. I mean, it's not like Kenta Maeda probably has, hasn't, hasn't done that. I'm going to guess there was a Koshian in his past <laughs> where he probably said, like, yes, I will take the ball again today, man. Uh, uh, man, sir. I'm not sure. Son. Yeah. Son. See, I, I didn't want to go I didn't want to go linguistic. I was just trying to think of a term for respect. But yeah. sir, it's going to be the, have to be the one. I'm going to guess that Kenta Maeda took the ball on very short rest. Um, I don't remember his name being in that chapter of the pitch, though. So, of, of the arm, I mean. So... I don't recall that one, but I still, you know, I'm still looking for a World Series, JJ, where the two combatants have not won a World Series since 1908 and 1948. You have the Dodgers in 1988, so the Blue Jays are the outlier there. Um, I don't like the Blue Jays' chances to win four to five, and I still don't like the Dodgers' chances to win three more games against the Cubs. I think the Cubs are the superior team, but that's part of the fun of watching. You know, that is, that see, is. I, I do think that the uh, little unpredictability. That the Dodgers throw, and then the fact that the Cubs again offense to me looks a little shakier. Throws a little uh, uh, unpredictability into it. it. It's funny, like back to Bias for a second. The the thing that stood out, 
everyone obviously understandably is talking about the very heady play that probably should have been maybe called an infield fly that right, wasn't right. the drop that he catches, he throws. Yeah. And then it's like, no, Addison, over there, throw it over there. Okay. It is amazing how all these more veteran players and then Addison Russell. But the other, you know, like Anthony Rizzo, everyone, everyone else on the field was confused but Javi Baez. He's like, no, I, I've got this. But I think because they probably all knew the, the move, the, the, yes, this, this should have been, <laughs> this was supposed to be an infield fly rule. But... Um, again, which great by him though to make. Yeah. Hey, make him do it. I didn't hear him do it, and right. you know what? Umpires get caught up in the situations too. I mean, they're you know it's, absolutely. It's, Braves fans are like, yes, yes, we remember infield <laughs> fly, and yes, this is but, that's, that's bad. Uh, uh, that's bad mojo for them. But for sure. you know, but for umpires, fans. you know, get. I mean, it's they're human too. But the play that was a very for now their their play the play that was very minor in that, but this again just. Imp- Amazed me again with the body control that Bias has was the play. Uh, I think it was an in, it was like the seventh or eighth inning where they were shifted. Yeah, the double play. The double play where he's got to run, come across the bag and throw, and he made it look like it was literally the simplest play in the world. Right. That's not a simple play. Right. You are having to catch the ball, control your feet, and make sure that you tag the bag on your way past. Again, it's I not the craziest play in the world, but at the same time, that is a play that there is a lot of second baseman in the game. Because be, let's be honest now, second base is a position where it used to be second base was a position where your shortstops without the arm all moved over there. Right. Second base is an offensive position now. Yeah. And with that, their guys were a little stiffer. Absolutely. A stiff guy has trouble making that play. A guy like Javier Baez makes that play, and it's like, I can make this a thousand times out of a thousand. Well, what you watch is... You see, most of the time, second basemen who do that, let's just say like a Neil Walker. Mm-hmm. That's a that's your more your modern second mm-hmm. baseman, converted, converted catcher, catcher, bat first guy, solid athlete. I'm gonna and then, guess and that, go, the next phylum is Daniel Murphy. Is right, the I didn't want to I didn't want to go that to to the batting champ. Yeah, but Neil Walker's a good offensive player most years. If he's making that play, he's sprinting to the bag, but he's stopping at the bag, planting. Maybe he's coming off to get out of the way. Of the uh, incoming runner, but it's there's there's gonna no be one fluid there's motion. gonna be exactly it's gonna be I'm gonna go from point A to point B and I'm gonna do this and if he has to catch it before that it. if he has to catch it before that because the feed gets there quicker he might have to look he's down. catching and he's gonna look down he's gonna tag and then and he might, the next part of the move starts and he might say you know what I'm just gonna eat it because I don't want to throw it away in this critical situation Javier Baez just has that shortstop athleticism that's why I tweet is like. That's shortstop tools at second base. And, you know, shortstop is about consistently making the routine play. And a guy like Baez probably doesn't make the routine play as consistently as Addison Russell. Especially last year when he was going through all the things he was going through. So I understand why he fell behind. But you just look at those guys tool for tool, tool for tool. They're pretty equal when it comes to the defensive ability. And who's got better hands? Baez. Who, who has Arm better strength. hands? Than, I mean, again, Russell, I, Russell Martin. Martin. Yeah, that's my that's my default answer. Best hands in baseball. I mean, his hands are so good. You see him have pass balls and these kind of things where he makes some lazy plays because he just trusts his hands so implicitly, which I I understand why he just has special hands. But Baez, totally special hands, as much or more arm strength than Russell. And Russell's probably a seven arm. But just watching him play second base, it's almost like. It's almost a waste of his tools in some ways, but I go back to the old Bill James. Second base has a ton of chances, so that's a great. You could really see how a, we- a player with shortstop tools playing second base is such a weapon 
Besides the fact that he's just a joy to watch. I, I do think for next year, and again, I don't know how the Cubs even... They, the Cubs yeah, how have do they a, finesse this? But Javier Baez, to me, next year, I know that they've deployed him all around. It's going to be tough to not play him most every day at second base next year because, let's be honest, there's Ben Zobrist, who essentially... How old is Ben Zobrist? Isn't he 36? He'll be 37 next year, I believe. Yeah, so that's, that's hard, I think, to ask Ben Zobrist to be a 37-year-old to run that much. In well, left not, field. That's a lot that, of running. That's a lot of running, but at the same time, it is also hard. And Zobrist, basically what Javier Baez is doing... He'll be ben, 36 next year. But what, what Javier Baez is doing, Ben Zobrist is like, I know this. I did this. This right. is what I used to do. No doubt. And I know he's done it even st- to some extent still, but you are giving up... Zobrist is still a, a perfectly adequate second baseman, but you are giving up so much there. No doubt. Oh, I, I I agree. I don't. It's a good problem to have, but I do think it's a problem they're going to have. And again, it's a problem you're going to have because if you move Zobrist to the outfield, where well, does Schwarber play? Right. And, and unless Hayward, I mean, it, what may be that is Hayward's your center fielder every day because they don't have. I mean, Fowler's on a one-year deal. These are the things that have to be still figured out. These are good luck with all that. Yeah. I mean, that's another real interesting question. Is just watch when Jason Hayward hits the ball hard, you're just shocked. Because half the time, he takes these swings I, that look interesting, and they, they're infield I do, pop-ups. I do wonder at this point. I do, I because we, you know, I know you're, I mean, John and I have been together for, we've yeah. been in this office together for a long time. And we're immediately, I know you're flashing back to watching young Jason Hayward as, as well as I am. And I, I am. And, and I do wonder, I do wonder how much of it is, is like basically, you were talking that he does not have the back. To do what I mean, the really the guy I think of, and Jason Hayward is not as good as Don Mattingly was. Yeah. But essentially, Don Mattingly's career can be divided into good Don back, Mattingly, back. good back, which is best player in the game. Jason Hayward was never that, but Jason Hayward was on the ascent. It would appear, and then bad back Don Mattingly was punchless. But it was basically he can put the ball in play and hit for average, and that's it. Yeah. And Jason Hayward, I mean, again, maybe his back's fine and this is other issues, but ever since those back issues arose, we've rarely seen the Jason Hayward that we saw who was breaking windows in the cars in the parking lot and they had to put up the Hayward net to protect cars because, because they didn't have other guys who could reach that far. It's truly amazing to see a guy with that kind of power potential... Um, yeah, I can't help but think it's so, not the back. Just be so punchless. It, ha- it has to be because the ball just doesn't come off his bat with any authority. And to have a sub-100 isolated power this year, I mean, that's just, it's disgusting. What was, <laughs> it's I mean, disgusting. What was he at his best? You got the stats up. Um, you know, even just two years ago, his ISO was 130, 170. It was uh, 200 in 2012 with the right. Braves when he hit career-high 27 home runs. So. 200 yeah, ISO. 260, is, 269, 335, 437. So he was a much more aggressive hitter. Struck out 152 times that year. So he was part a guy, of it, some of its approach. you know. But also he was a guy who did damage, and now he does not do damage. He does no damage. He does damage only to their own team, so it's it, to their own lineup. It's, I mean, that, that, was, that was the part of that game one was, and it, the game just kept going. Like, I didn't expect the second, you know, the second intentional walk. But right with, with the first one, you're like, you were intentionally walking someone to face Hayward. That's that's amazing to me, because. But then it was like, no, we're intentionally walking to get Chapman out of the game. There've been a lot of those moves. I heard uh, Mike and Mike say this morning, like, oh, that's what you love about the baseball postseason. It's like I just like the baseball. 
That's extra. I do like it more because every move is magnified, but the baseball I, itself is pretty I, damn good. I, I do love I do love how generally these games also uh, have been taught. I mean, these have been... They have been tight, and they've been generally well-played. You know, again, I just contrast it with the, co- the product the NFL puts on its field. <laughs> it's bad product. And I heard people talking this morning, or and even, yeah, on the both... Whatever radio or TV show I was watching this morning as I got ready about... Um, the NFL game last night. It's like, I flipped over to that for two minutes. I didn't even flip and over. And that, that game was horrible. And all the Twitter commentary was how horrible it was. And, I mean, the quality of play, the baseball playoffs, the quality of the games is very high so far. And right, that's, that's, a, that's the thing about it is, is, and what has also happened, I know we are back in a more power-oriented, but it still is, this is not, I do find this a more enjoyable than the late nineties, early aughts, where it was the, the you know the nine to eight games. I find it. I had no problem with those. Two. I, 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 I had no problem with Pedro coming out of the bullpen and shutting down the Indians. That's just for you, Teddy Cahill, when you listen to this later. But <laughs> but I but I do enjoy like where any one swing can change it, but at the same time you also get really you know that pitching can dominate. I enjoy yeah. I enjoy the yin and the yang. You mean like Kurt Schilling? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I love my old, my old Reds. Very different from 2004, that's for sure. Uh, uh, that takes it out of yours. That took it out of my system, but uh, it's hard for me to get past those playoffs. Son, firstborn son, and uh, first championship. Those are those are hard to get past. And uh, I, and for you at that time of year, I would imagine that a lot of Brett Boone and Reggie Sanders empty swings uh, for Braves back then uh, for a Georgia boy. Not exciting. I would say over the last ten years, I don't think I don't think you could. I think it's very safe to say that we root for players and storylines. And not for teams, right? But back then, I was a little bit, uh, a little bit I, younger, I lost that a little in bit the darker. 90s, hair. Really, that's what, yeah. The nineties, like, it is annoying for people when they say, "So, who do you root for?" And it's like, yeah, like I enjoyed the Royals run here because I enjoyed the Royals run because right. I watched that from when it was the hey they drafted Eric Hosmer and right. hey Mike Montgomery and Tim Mountain. Now I'm seeing Montgomery, you know. And a different uniform now. And like we've said earlier in these podcasts, we're enjoying the Indians run now because we know people who work for the Indians and we know them really well. So it's kind of right. cool. To, but it's but it is something yeah. where it is. I really like. I'm enjoying this Cubs run because that's right. Uh-huh. It's these. I mean, this is for one. It's fascinating for baseball. But for two, I enjoy watching well built teams. Yep. Succeed. Develop. I, again, it's funny now. Like. Or, I was or having discussions. Watching Clayton Kershaw be Clayton Kershaw in the postseason is awesome. But I remember in year two of the Theo Jed regime, and the late Ray Nemec, uh, yeah. you know, but he was he was in Chicago, and I remember him saying, "I just don't know what these guys are doing." And I remember telling him, and I was like, "Unfortunately, Ray's not here to see yeah, it now." Yeah. But but telling Ray, Ray, trust me on this. This is the best position the Cubs have been in in decades. Yeah, and him not him going. I don't hear that. You know, like on sports talk radio and here and all. There's a lot about how these guys. What are they doing and all that? And it's like, it's coming, Ray. Yeah, and you know, it sounds funny, but like I mean that it wasn't. It looks obvious now. It wasn't as obvious, at least in the surface level. You know, talk about it and all. If you go back to 2013, you know, and 14, it wasn't as obvious. And now Correct. you look at it, and it's like. Oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Now it does look obvious. So uh, we'll wrap it there. Uh, we've got a lot of playoffs to watch, and it's a lot of good reasons to watch. If you're listening to these podcasts, obviously uh, we're preaching to you. It's pretty easy. You're, you're a baseball fan. You're fished in. Um, but lots of reasons to watch. We hope you enjoy listening as well. 
For J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you again tomorrow. Who knows will be joining us on tomorrow's podcast after Game 3 of the American League Championship Series. Until then, so long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.